Hey folks, welcome to episode 130 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Matt Christensen. Matt is a massage therapist and challenge course instructor. Matt loves to thru-hike, rock climb, and kayak. He's hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and most of the Continental Divide Trail. You can check out Matt on Instagram at underscore adventure calls underscore. Um, before we start, I'm going to play you in um, with a song by Dead King Cotton. Enjoy. So, how how long have you been backpacking for, man? Uh, so 
Tell me about the first time when you got into it. First time I got into backpacking was probably around 2014 with one of my former partners and um, done some hiking when I moved here in like 2009, 2010. Where'd you move from? Uh, San Diego, but before that I grew up in southeastern Massachusetts. Oh wow, is there a lot of mountains there? Southeastern Mass? Uh Uh, No. (laughs) A lot of water. (laughs) So... So I didn't do a lot of hiking back there. And then when I lived in San Diego, I did a lot more water sports, like boogie boarding and um, some kayaking, learned how to kayak down there. And then, uh, so I lived down there from about 2006 to 2008. And then end of 2008, I moved up to Washington momentarily. And then I spent two months down in Baja, Mexico, down near Loreto. Oh, kayaking cool. with a buddy down there for two months and then came back and so I've been up in Washington since about the spring of 2009 whoa so but I didn't go on my first backpack really until um, 2014 mm-hmm. I'd done some kayak camping and some paddleboard camping before that um, which is kind of similar but a little different paddleboard camping yeah so there's a section uh, a friend of mine who he lives in New Hampshire or he lives up in Maine now actually um so we had done some trips down to this area called the Black Canyon. It's down uh, the area of the river on the Colorado River, down on um, the Arizona-Nevada border. Mm-hmm. So one side's Arizona, one side's Nevada. And there's this pretty chill section of river. It's like 7 to 11 miles of river below the Hoover Dam. It's called the Black Canyon. And there's natural hot springs up and down. So we had done some. we done, uh, yeah, there's like hot springs on that are fed into the canyons wow. there. So, but... I did uh, a kayak trip with them back in like 2008 or nine, I think. Mm-hmm. And then again, I went again with them a few years later. Um, and I did, I got a stand up paddle board and just put a uh, bag on the board and strapped it down and paddled down the river and met them. So that's cool. What, what was your relationships to water relationships to like water sports and adventure? Was that something that was like a primary aim in your life at the time? Um, uh, at that time, I think I just got into it so much. Yeah. Like living in Southern California and like having the ocean so close, mm-hmm. I was really enthralled with the water. So you catch up a lot of mo- catch a lot of momentum being in a community like that, probably getting different ideas of adventures to go on, right? Yeah. So, and that was kind of cool. their idea to go explore that spot, and uh, oh. I'd been been to it before that first trip, and it was just it's some place I go back to again. It's very it's actually pretty accessible, but you can only access these like campsites by either boating in or by hiking in from the road. Oh, so, that's really cool, man. Yeah. Wow. So I, not, I love that. It's not something you just drive up to and you're there. And hot springs too. And it kind of uh-huh. gives you like that really remote wildernessy feel. Like yeah. what is the, if you could just like, I don't might be challenging, but what, what is a Canyon kind of like, what kind of feel, look and feel of that environment? It's like a kind of, I mean, if you've been to any desert canyon-esque environments before it's kind of got that like uh not very it's like a barren landscape so there's no really tall trees or shrub bushes and stuff mm-hmm. like that and then um big canyon walls towering up from the river On both sides both sides sometimes Whoa. but like the river is pretty wide down there too and it may mm-hmm. be like the the flows uh driven by how much water they let out of the dam so it just depends what time of year you go so and how consistent. much energy they're trying to um Create in the day. So, mm-hmm. I mean, at most you get like a class two river, but usually really? it's pretty placid. But you'd definitely still have to plan for because there's like a launch site down 
south on the river mm-hmm. where called Willow Beach, where most people launch from, and then you paddle up towards the dam. So usually earlier in the morning, um, before they're letting water out, is a better time to paddle upstream. Oh, yeah. Because it just becomes more difficult if you're trying to like go against the current. Oh, instead of a put-in and take-out spot where you like put in and then follow the flow of the river and then get into a new vehicle and return to your old vehicle, you're starting downriver. Yeah. And then you go upriver and then let the river take you down to go yeah. back. So the first time I did the trip, oh. we, we launched from Willow Beach and paddled up seven miles to like one of the main campsites mm-hmm. um, called Arizona Hot Springs. And there's pools there that you actually access by climbing this steel ladder that's been installed. Whoa. And people will go out and like, there's flowing like geothermal water, but people have gone out and like put sandbags there to create pools of mm-hmm. different layers, like levels of hotness. So like the higher pools are more warm and mm-hmm. the lower pools there's like three or four pools that are different warmth oh man so, that's so cool and it's different than like if you've been to hot springs in washington you get a lot mm-hmm. of that like sulfury kind of like gooey water when mm-hmm. you step into yeah, it and there gray, it's, it's, like, it's clearer it's definitely clearer water because it's, it's running through the canyon and it's coming from up straight up under the ground there's no sulfur smell to it so oh that's right clear water yeah and then in terms of like the visuals do you see a lot of like do you, do you see roads off in the distance in those kinds of environments or anything other than like once you leave willow beach area you're like in the canyon whoa so, and i mean cool. there's power boats that come up and down so depending mm-hmm. on what time of year you go it's definitely a popular like spot for power boats and there's companies so you can launch at willow beach but you can mm-hmm. also launch Right below the Hoover Dam. Mm-hmm. However, you have to, the only way you can access that launch spot is by going through an outfitter because they need to pass through a high security area uh. to launch you. So the second time when I did that trip, mm-hmm. it was because my original plans to meet uh, a friend down in San Diego, then drive with her out there kind of mm-hmm. fell through like a few weeks before the trip. So I had to kind of scurry around and figure out new plans, how to get down there. Wow. So basically I had my plane ticket to go to San Diego and then I was going to drive with my friend out to, um, Willow beach out Arizona, Nevada area. Mm -hmm. And, um, so what I did instead was I flew and then there was a kayak shop that my girlfriend at the time had been working at out there. Mm -hmm. And I was still in, um, contact with them so i sent some stuff ahead and mailed it to them yeah and i was living up in washington at this time so i had to fly down there so um but so i met down there and then um got my stuff squared away for the trip Mm -hmm. and then they took me to the greyhound station i took a greyhound bus up to la and then connected over to um las vegas and then I took regional transit out to where this outfitter shop was that I had like I had uh, contacted them to uh, borrow a board from them Whoa. to launch. So, so it was like all kind of like public transit to get where I wanted to go. How was that riding the public transit? Was it very adventurous or pretty monotonous? I mean, I'd done the the bus ride from Vegas to San Diego before mm-hmm. a couple times, and you like connect over to LA and down to san diego on two different buses so wow that's pretty cool but then i don't know trying to figure out how to get from vegas to this outfitter shop was just like okay i know there's public transit in vegas area and we'll take you out to i think they're over by kind of henderson nevada area so mm-hmm. i had to kind of get out there or like boulder area wow. and uh so i just figured it out and yeah they they picked me up and they dropped me off and 
met my friend my friends had already launched on the river so i just paddled down and met them the, the, wow. the next day so i think it was all within like this 24-hour period i was like leaving washington and then on the river and uh <laughs> near the hoover dam at like 7 a.m the next day so. that's crazy man yeah you like that right like yeah that. it's kind of nice trying to create an adventure out of something that was unplanned so mm-hmm. trying to get your way around without the necessity of your own vehicle mm-hmm. and relying on either public transit or other people to get you places so when did you figure out you like doing that kind of thing and, and having that kind of task at hand I don't know. I think as a kid, I was always kind of enthralled with like trains and things and like living near Boston. Um, we had this commuter line um, that ran through our town mm-hmm. that uh, ran from Plymouth all the way up to Boston. And then probably the easiest way to get around Boston area is on transit. Oh, really? Um, just because the roads up there are so kind of messed up and there's the infrastructure is just really bad. So <laughs> yeah. Trying to drive and the Boston area is like horrendous it's a nightmare. So I think just as a child taking trips up there. And then also when I went to college, I was still living at home uh, about 45 minutes away. And I was going to school at Berkeley college of music in Boston. Mm-hmm. And so I would commute on the trail and I got like a, a train pass to go uh, for infinite rides and stuff. So oh, just get yeah. a monthly commuter pass. And I think the first semester I did that, I, I drove up, like 20 minutes to like a suburb of Boston, this uh, Braintree area where Mm -hmm. um, the trains, the actual like subway comes in. They just call it the T up there. Mm -hmm. So mass transit. And then uh, the next semester or two, I think I got, uh, I got a commuter rail so I could like basically walk from my house at the commuter station and then take that all the way to Boston and then take some connecting trains to get to school. So, wow. So I think just, got enthralled as he in my younger years mm-hmm. just riding trains and being enthralled with trains and stuff like that and public transit and now that i've traveled a little bit around the states like trying to like figure out how to get around cities without utilizing uh either by foot or by public transit mm-hmm. it's kind of cool so. if i like could even just like pin it to a very like clear division i found in trail running you have the situation to where um, there's these events, right? Mm-hmm. And they're held by an organization on these trails that are publicly accessible 24-7 to anyone, right? And then, you know, in our parks and forests. And, like, they, what they do is is they draw the route, you know, they provide yeah. you with a map, mm-hmm. and they, they mark the course. And then they um, they have a safety mechanism if anyone were to get lost on the trail um, and didn't go to like an aid station or a checkpoint in time. And then at the checkpoints, they got the food and they have care for people and medical care. Um, what I find is is when you go and sign up for one of those things, something sometimes happens to people. Seem like a majority in that case where if they would they would be there'd be concern that what if I got lost, right? Mm-hmm. But at all points, there's like arrows and stuff showing you where to go with reflective material yeah. and, and these things. So they remove the, the the chance of you getting lost. It's put into an organization's hands. And then the concern is... is this book and what's this? What, what if I get... What if I get hurt? And it's like, well, if I get hurt, you know, I want them to take care of it for me. Mm-hmm. 
um, so that I'm safe. But, um, and then also like, what if I get lost? You know, mm-hmm. all, all those things. I want someone to be responsible for that. Yeah. And what I realized was when I ran these things, um, I would get bored of the challenge of, or I would struggle with the challenge and the monotony of trying to be quick Yeah, and, and trying to be comfortable. But what happened was it would be really fun when I would encounter an obstacle, like more technical trail mm-hmm. where I would have to think about my footing and it was less clear. Um, I would have to figure out how to, I'd have to cross a river. I'd have to ascend a steep embankment with a hand line. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to go through a boulder field where there is no trail. Mm-hmm. Those things would pique my excitement. Um, and I would listen to several other runners from all over the world at these events. And there'd be a, a very, uh, a, a group you know, um, I don't know, sometimes a majority um, who's not thrilled about that and worried. And I see this division where it's like some people like it when they have everything is up to them. Mm-hmm. Where like all the yeah. means of like figuring out where you have to go, if you get hurt, if you need food, if you, you know, need water, you need shelter, where's the, um, how are you going to plan your route? Like let's, there's someone who likes to go out on their weekend and decide to pick what kind of route that they want mm-hmm. and go and run it and yeah. make sure that if they have any problems that they're able to manage that themselves or with their group. Yeah. And like. The more ambiguous or the less detailed that it is, the more appealing it is to a certain user group. And I noticed that there was like a clear distinction in that. I thought that those people who were would feel very uncomfortable and were averse to a situation that wasn't clearly detailed where all the steps were not right in front of you. I thought they just hadn't realized the fun. Mm. And I realized that I think it's a very different way of being. Totally. Yeah. I think some people just want everything not handed to them, but they want that, that guesswork taken out for them and Mm -hmm. other people that's their way of exploring. So for me, I like having some uncertainty and like, not like I, part of the whole process of like traveling in the wilderness is like leave no trace. And part of that's preparing and planning and, um, I know with that river trip and with trips I've done, I try to, prepare and plan but i don't try to over prepare and over plan to like leave some excitement and adventure in it still Mm -hmm. but no i'm still ready to take care of myself in an instance where something might happen it's like Mm -hmm. i'm still i can still be self-reliant and i can know where i'm going and but also have some the unknown too Mm. at the same time that makes sense so because there's like, that's risk, right? Risk yeah. is dealing with unknown circumstances. Yeah. And like, I think to some degree, that almost feels integral for, for having a satisfying experience for me. Yeah. Because I've played video games where I've had like cheat codes. They call it like God mode, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can't die. Yeah. And you have like infinite ammo. And I quit <laughs> playing all the missions. And I quit <laughs> playing the fucking game really quickly, you know? And there's that part of me where, like, having the odds stacked against me, having whatever I perceived as, like, some level of adversity mm-hmm. is um, in some level of unknown is important. Mm-hmm. But I've also thrown myself really hard in the deep end or have gotten very insecure when I would r- realize what I'm doing is not really that, like, 
risky, not really mm-hmm. that intimidating, not that adventurous compared to what somebody else was doing. So for example, like I'm going to go on a, um, a two mile one way mm-hmm. backpacking trip with my son. And like, what did I say? I, I can find myself um, getting caught up in having to make it really hard and mm-hmm. realize that sometimes I it can be too far. Like sometimes I really need to like have some certainties or some things under my control, for example. So when I take my son out for that two mile trip, he gets that experience of like self-reliance and battling the unknown, but he's not so overwhelmed that he never wants to do it again. Yeah. You know, it's like a a balance that I I go back and forth. I have it with climbing trips where it's like um, route finding very hard. (laughs) <laughs> approach very long and I remember I'm like I looked at I tried to ask some friends I'm like okay it's 30 miles um, round trip mm-hmm. and it's four pitches of five seven and the route finding is like 50 50 a, a little challenging yeah I'm like does anyone want to go? And I just heard crickets. <laughs> and I found someone, and they're like, they were getting into climbing. They did sport leads and stuff, but they didn't do any trad leads, and they'd they'd sometimes second in some trad climbing. Um, but they haven't done climbing the Alpine yet. And the furthest hike they went was ten miles. <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, I'll do it." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay." We're really eating eating the the plate of suffering. In that experience. But what I realized, though, is that I took on too much in that situation where I had fun Mm -hmm. and I had like a real epic adventure, but I got trammeled and trampled, you know, and I found out that I was like indulging in ego in that way. And I was not setting out to try to have a good time. I was setting out to fulfill like an ideology and expectation. Yeah, you know, totally. But yeah, I find myself going on a lot of solo adventures because of that, because I don't have to worry about somebody else's. Um, how they're going to perceive this circumstance. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, I, I definitely want to go on climbing adventures. I'm going with partners and stuff. But when I go on hikes, like I did a hike last year um, uh, to prepare for the Colorado Trail. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of just looked at a map. So I did some planning, but it was a map. It was going to be like a 30-plus mile loop. And so it started near Mazama and then came back. Uh, kind of, if you know the Robinson Creek area. Oh there. yeah, I've wanted to go out there so, for a while. Um, in 2018, when I hiked the PCT Robinson Creek, there was that was part of a detour to get up to the terminus mm-hmm. um, because there was a fire burning up near the PCT that it had closed a section north of Hearts Pass to the border. Yeah. So if you want to go around, so anyways. I started looking at my North Cascades map and it's like, okay, I could link this trail to that trail and then here. And then I added the mileages up. It's like, it's like 31 miles. It's totally doable. I've done bigger days mm-hmm. and I was going to do with the backpack. So I, I, uh, I drove over there and I camped and I got up a little later than I expected. It's like, it's okay. It's, I'll be fine. And so the trail encompassed going up Robinson Creek. And I think this is like May or something. Mm-hmm. So maybe early June. And, uh, I got up to a point near, um, Hearts Pass, but Slate Pass area. Mm-hmm. And then I encountered some snow, but it's like, okay, I've traveled through snow before a little bit. So I'm just like route finding it. It's like, I'm going there. So I know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so I would lose the trail and then find the trail and then lose the trail and find the trail. But I wasn't worried. It's like 
still early in the day. Yeah, exactly. I finally got That's up great. and over and then connected down to the road that goes down to Hearts Pass. Uh-huh. And so got to the Hearts Pass campground. I took like a break there. I'm thinking it's like, okay, I've got a couple options here. I could walk this like 17 miles from the Hearts Pass campground to downtown Mazama, but it's probably like 10 miles or 11 miles down to my car if I walk the road. So that's yeah. an option. But that wasn't my intended route for that that excursion. Oh, really? So my intended route was to go on the PCT now, southbound, mm-hmm. and then hit, hit another uh, crossing trail called the West Fork of the Methow Trail, which I'd saw on a map. It's like, okay, it's defined on this map. It's The map had features on it that told me this is a defined trail and maintained trail. It's mm-hmm. like, okay. So sitting there and there were people and it's like, so that option one was walk the road. Option two is like, I could just get a ride down with somebody. Yeah. And like, <laughs> be done for the That's day. That's so luring, isn't it? Yeah. So those are like two options going through my head. And then third option is like, just bite the bull and go ahead with what you plan for this. Like, mm-hmm. It's... I think it was like two o'clock maybe, or it's like I got plenty of daylight still. Yeah. So ate my lunch and then I continued down the trail, down the PCT. And then I'm, I brought my map with me so I knew where I was going to turn. And there was like a creek right after this junction. So I got to this junction. And at some point when you're on a loop trail, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, you get to the point where it's like you hit, it's going to be shorter if you just keep going yeah. versus I'm doubling back now. You're over your commitment at that point when yeah. you're through the halfway point, right? So I kind of got to that point and it's like, okay, it's more work to get back now in mm-hmm. my mind, mileage. And so I got to this <clears throat> junction and I didn't see it right away. So then I got to this feature, which was a creek, which was only a couple hundred yards past it, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe uh, Brush Creek. And I noticed on the tree, there's a sign that's like facing the wrong way. It's not facing the PCT. It's facing like it's adjacent to the PCT. So Mm -hmm. it's like in parallel. And it's like usually when there's a sign like that, there means there's a trail that's coming in. And also I noticed there's kind of like a a not very defined footpath there. Mm -hmm. So I like stopped at the creek, looked at my map. It's like, okay, it should be right here. And I went back, looked at that trail sign. And it's like, so cutthroat passes that way. If you continue southbound and then... Hearts passes that way if you continue northbound. So it's like, but that sign's facing, it's in parallel with the trail. So yeah. it's like, okay, this must be a trail. So I got, I went back to that junction and followed that trail. I was like, okay, I'm on it. So I felt like it was a trail, but it was overgrown a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like, overgrown trail is fine. I can follow it. Yeah. And then it started turning into this area, I guess, had been burned several years back and like the whole valley that the West Fork of the Methow Trail follows mm-hmm. is completely bare. It's not barren, but it's been devastated by forest fire. Wow. Yeah. So there's lots of overgrown stuff. So I was starting to get to sections not very far down after I got on this trail. Um, and this whole trail is eight miles to the trailhead. Mm-hmm. And I think I got like a few miles in and I started like, you know what ocean spray is? What's ocean spray? It's this like woody plant, and in the springtime, it uh, develops these buds, and they. Uh, anyways, it's called ocean spray because it looks like the spray of the ocean, basically. Oh so, no way! But it's a, the main thing to know is it's a woody plant, uh-huh. so it's got big, stocky, woody, shrubby branches. Oh that, yeah, but, and it can get overhead height and maybe ten. But it's not a tree, so yeah. it's, it's a shrub. Wow. And uh, so I started like 
coming upon this on this trail. And the first was like ankle height, mm-hmm. and then it would get like chest height, <sighs> and all of a sudden it was overhead height. Oh my god! And it wasn't just on one side of the trail; it was on the whole trail. So it was like, and it was coming from both sides. So it was like intercrossed. Oh wow! But what you like, what I could do is like move it away, and I could still see the trail tracks. So it's like mm-hmm. okay, and so I'm closer now. I'm like. 20 plus miles into this hike oh, wow. it's like i'm close and i think i got i got on that trail about 6 30 mm-hmm. and then i don't know it's it's a river trail so it's pretty flat and mm-hmm. i can i'm about six feet tall and i can maintain on like a well-defined trail without much if it has a little upgrade and downgrade that's fine but mm-hmm. usually i can maintain like a two and a half to three mile per hour speed. Yeah. So like if you use three miles an hour, so, um, it's taking like two and a half hours, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it took me two hours to go about six miles. And I didn't, there was like these two definite river crossings that were on my Uh map that I knew as like waypoints. So I knew once I got to them, I knew where I was on the map. And that's how you, you, that's a coping mechanism that you use to be able to, um, to know where you are. Right. And so you don't have anxiety and you don't get lost. Yeah. But at one point, like the shrubs were like so over height that, and I was moving stuff across and all of a sudden I was like off the trail and this happened a few times where it's like, and then it's a burn area. So there's like lots of trees down and over too. Is it getting dark now or is it in the, I'm getting to the point where it's like, it's still like, it's uh it's not the summer solstice yet so yeah. it's like i think it was mayish or so when i did this wow. and so it's not quite dark yet but it's like if i'm still bushwhacking yeah in the dark it's like i've got a headlamp wow. yeah. i didn't have overnight gear i just had stuff for the day uh-huh. and uh but i started like schwacking through all this stuff and i'm starting now i'm just getting frustrated because this stuff's like chewing me up I've got shorts on. Oh gosh, man, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm climbing up and over these logs to try to see if I can see anything ahead wow. to get it. And then I'm like tripping over some of these giant logs because you can't see them until you're up on them. Yeah, right? and then I'm like oh, off wow. the trail, and then that's when I start getting anxious a little bit. It's like mm-hmm. crap. It's like I could survive the night out here if I needed to. It's like I've got layers and things, but I don't have a sleeping bag or a shelter. But there's also like I'm all this shrubbery is encroaching the trail Mm -hmm. so i eventually get through it and it would like it would be like these sections of just overhead can't see ahead of you like pushing aside and then sit through and then it's not even work that you have to turn in on the thing so i could just sit through it and just not do it But then, and then, so it would like clear up for a little bit. And then I, I know like there's cliff faces up like maybe a quarter mile this way. So mm-hmm. it's like the trail is here somewhere. If I know I keep following the river, I'm going to hit the road eventually. So it's not like I'm totally lost. Yeah. Cause you don't need to, you know, from just reading the trail and stuff that yeah. you don't need, you're not parked. You're not, the trailhead's not up high. It's down low. It's down, and you would it, never go up high to yeah. go low again. So worst case scenario is I follow the river off trail for a while and I'll get to the road eventually because it doesn't cross the river. Anyways, after like two hours and um, I actually think it took, so it took me about three hours to go six miles. Holy so usually shit. six miles <laughs> yeah. at like a cat, like a regular pace mm-hmm. would take two hours. So oh, three gosh. miles an hour. And so I was just like, 
it's a slog. Yeah. So finally I get to this first like Creek crossing and, um, I had to wade through it a little bit. It wasn't super crazy, but mm-hmm. it was, uh, I mean, if you lost your foot and you get swept down a little bit, oh, it wasn't, right. it wasn't crazy wide. It's probably 10 feet across or something. In the moment though, was it compounding your anxiety or were you pretty calm? You're just like, I was, I knew where I was now. I was it. like, I knew I had where I had gone this many miles because mm-hmm. everything up to that point had been like a schlog. I'd, I remember like one point just like, yelling and screaming and just really? yes yeah, because so i was what I so know. it just yeah. got to a point where it's like i'm totally done with this ocean spray Because like you put yourself in these situations and and sometimes from the outside looking in or hearing in is like wow this guy does it because you know he's strong and brave and confident and in reality what i'm what i think is at least in my experience is that you you might you find these situations compelling and mm-hmm. you put yourself there and it's a type two fun and then you might find moments that are genuinely hard to deal with that you want to give up or you know whatever that looks like to you mm-hmm. and you you have to find tricks to like cope with it and to be safe too yeah because that's what like that creek crossing you know that's what's so interesting is like does it compound anxiety or or do you use that to like what is your process of thinking to keep yourself calm and safe you yeah. know I mean, at that point, I just knew it was like, okay, I'm, hopefully I'm done. I, it had cleared out a little bit from the the shrubbery and the trail was open. Now I found the trail mm-hmm. tread again. So it got better at yeah, that Yeah, so I think I'd been good. off trail for like 45 minutes or something. Wow. I'm like sh- scrambling over down logs <laughs> and through all this intertwined shrubbery that's just eating me up. Oh, my gosh. And I'm finally at this like saving grace of a creek. Yeah. But in that moment I've, i had a water filter in my bag and at that moment i, I think i'd reached back to try to find it mm-hmm. and I'd been pulled out of my bag so i didn't have water for like most of that oh, trip, oh my gosh which is like it's not a huge deal but it's like okay i'm at this creek i know where i'm at i think i'm like two to three miles from the trailhead and then i'm like mm-hmm. another half a mile mile from my van so i'm like close so it's like a couple more hours and i'm good mm-hmm. so i cross this creek and then i get to the other side and then the trail just like there's no more of that shrubbery. So it's like, oh, sweet. Nice. I'm home free now. So yeah. I just felt like the anxiety and all the frustration kind of like go away after that. You so. feel really excited and like kind of on top of the world thing or is it muted? I think I was just tired and just wanted to be in my bed and in the van. So. Yeah. And I was meeting a friend the next day to go climbing. So, <laughs> oh, did you still go through, or did you still continue to climb the next day? And I just did. Like, yeah, ah. I met up with him and went up to Washington Pass and we climbed something. So, wow, but, that's uh, really cool. Yeah. So then later, I went climbing, and then when I got home, I researched this trail a little bit more and found out that so the first that first creek crossing that I got to from the PCT side didn't mm-hmm. have a bridge across it. The next creek crossing had a little foot log across it. Oh, okay. So that foot That's log good. is like at two miles and the other creek is like three or four miles in or something. Oh, nice. Or uh, something like that. <clears throat> so that I researched a little bit more on some sites and it's like, oh yeah, that foot log's been washed out and that trail's been unmaintained for several years now. So <laughs> that's on me for not doing more planning. I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure it out and kind of, I wasn't totally SOL, mm-hmm. but like... If I had got benighted and I was still bushwhacking, I probably would have found somewhere to bed down and made do. Yeah. And continued in the morning when I had more light and more time. Mm-hmm. And I would have, I knew where I was going. I wasn't like totally lost. Yeah. You had food and stuff. But too. at the same time, it's also anxiety inducing when you don't know where you are and you can't see where you're going. Yeah. Like you're totally shrouded in 
the shrubbery that's not letting you make forward progress quick enough. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're just like oscillating between like that anxiety and comfort in your mind, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. But that's that wild. so that's for me. It was looking back. That was definitely type two fun when I'm bushwhacking through that. Mm-hmm. But it was something that's like, oh, I still made it through and. It sucked in the moment, but you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> and next time I'll do some more planning on making sure the trails I choose. Uh, Cause that was like, I was like, I'm going to be on trail the whole way. It's like, nope. Nope. Yeah. It's <laughs> not how it's going to go. <laughs> so. What What about um, having an experience like that? Um, this backpacking, what's, what's compelling about it to you? What or or even what are some moments that you look back at fondly in backpacking? Uh, I think like one of the first trips I went on, just like I think I was always worried about like, oh, am I going to bring the wrong food? And so I, I went with partner, and that kind of like uh, helped me realize like, oh, you make mistakes and you bring the wrong stuff sometimes, but you still have fun along the way. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just like the simplicity and being able to kind of interweave myself with what I'm in and not be so like enthralled with what's going on in social media and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like that disconnect, but not total disconnect, but like connecting (laughs) with yourself. Yeah. Minus being so wrapped up in the digital world and stuff. All these exterior distractions, right? Yeah. Like trying for me, like um, actually one of my friends sent me an article a year or two back about moving meditation. And for me, like mm-hmm. the actual process of like walking is very meditative for me. So mm-hmm. like I noticed when I was hiking the PCT and I had this discussion with some trail friends not long after the trail. It's like I have a bad habit of biting my nails. Yeah. And like to the point where I'm like biting the skin around me and, me too. and stuff and they're bloody and well, mine just not good. Infected. Yeah, so, and I noticed on the PCT, like, just committing yourself to doing this every day, and I didn't bite my nails once on the trail. Really? Yeah, just because my mind was so enthralled with, like, Mm -hmm. you have a task to do, so um, I feel like I bite my nails out of, like, anxiousness and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, when you have a task that preoccupies your brain, for me anyways, it took away that need to be habitual about mm-hmm. biting my nails because I wasn't anxious, I guess. Wow. So That's wild. So for me, it's just, yeah, it's just like a movie meditation. And it allows me to kind of relax and kind of reset myself. Mm-hmm. And just simple. <laughs> like, yeah, you know cool. where everything is. Mm-hmm. Like, if you lost something, it's probably somewhere in your bag. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's probably just somewhere different. It's uh, <laughs> only so many pockets to check. Yeah. That's so cool. So what's, what is your, it's probably hard to generalize, but like, what's your experience like when you're hiking? Um, do you, do you often play any like music, listen to any audiobooks? Um, do you entertain yourself in some way? I personally don't do any of that for me. I feel like I went out to explore an area to kind of be present and in the moment as much as possible, even though it's like, uh, it comes and goes. Sometimes you're so you're you are present. You top stop and take a moment and appreciate what's around you. Mm-hmm. And other times you're so into your cadence and the flow, kind of your flow state of just moving. Mm-hmm. That that's where it becomes, I guess, the subconscious meditation in a sense when you do you get in that 
rhythm and that flow and you've just got trail ahead of you that's allowing you to be there so for me music and stuff on the trail like that is distracting i guess Mm -hmm. i know people that do hike like that and that's their forte but for me it's not something i partake in so i started trail running with listening to music and audiobooks Mm -hmm. and that was in podcasts that was my carrot on the stick yeah i was like oh it's a great way to do that and then i found that sometimes when there's many different things or or two different things which is what you talked about when you get so caught up in your cadence right Mm -hmm. um and just like overall movement of your body, right? Yeah. And managing that. And then there's this other place for me where like, <clears throat> there are three places. There's other place for me where I like to go into my head and I like to, to think. <clears throat> I'd say that's similar if I was in a social situation and I wanted to talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one is is like really taking in that that silence. Like just even if I'm not like actively thinking of things mm-hmm. and I don't have that time lostness of moving where you're like, whoa, hours just went by, you know, I'm, I haven't really like paid attention much outside of the activity of moving, you know, and, and watching the ground mm-hmm. um, is just like taking all of that in. And that only happens like very small amount of time where I'm just like silent. Yeah. It's something you have to be very mindful of because I know when I've done longer hikes and like even a through hike to like sometimes you're thinking you just left a town you left a resupply spot and maybe your first night out is like okay i'm on the trail again and then you've like three to five days maybe to the next town next resupply spot and i would slowly find myself drifting in and out of being here and just enjoying the day versus thinking of what i'm going to be doing in the next town and how i'm going to resupply and Mm. Uh, I'm going to have a bed and a shower and stuff like that. So just Mm -hmm. constantly being in and out of that state uh, and having to be mindful of enjoying what's around me and Mm -hmm. not just, especially on some of the like harder, hotter sections when I was hiking in 2018, just Northern California and Southern Oregon. I think a lot of that went through my brain just because I was just, it was uncomfortable. The heat and stuff was really there's not really any escaping yeah and the more you move the higher your body temperature is but also if you sit still and if it's somewhere sunny without shade it's really hot yeah so and no and then there's like you avoid escaping it mentally right and then avoid escaping it physically because there's like there's something about being there right being pinned Mm -hmm. there and that like you feel really uncomfortable but realizing that it's all perfect right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I talked to my son about that with, fucked up, but like, if he's like, dad, it's hot in the bed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, okay, I can turn the fan on, right? But I have to set the fan up so that I can point towards you. The fan has to have a certain speed. It's really loud. So if you're watching something or it might be harder for you to sleep, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. It brings its own problems to the table. Yeah. But like this problem though, is something that you were able to manage all along because you sweat yeah and like you i understand you got blankets you remove them you still feel hot and you still feel uncomfortable but like if you're if you're able to manage the way that your mind is reacting to this situation there is a way to find to ease your suffering and to be able to find um content Mm -hmm. in this situation Right. Because like refuting that my reality is not okay right now. I need something to ease my reality so that I can be okay and content with myself is actually um, 
in, in from what I see in terms of like spiritual things, right? Um, from that, like, even if you don't take in the explicit spirituality, of it, you just look at it as like story. Mm-hmm. It it almost seems like destructive over the long term. Because then you're just like tracing nascent pleasures, right? To mm-hmm. ease the suffering and it's only in like the temporary form. Because like a fan only lasts for so long or a fan can only blow so hard. And at some point the fan, it might get so hot where you live that the fan isn't able to compensate for the heat and then now you're left to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Or what if you're in a place where you're like hiking and you don't have access to the fan? And it's interesting because there's, there's real world like um, benefits to stress and suffering in these ways that mm-hmm. are like not vol- that are like naturally occurring these environmental stresses and these psychological stresses like um, you you grow as long as they're not acute right like mm-hmm. if you're like a little bit hot uh, really you know a little bit sweaty you don't have heat stroke like the the amount of like health and wellness that comes from you know, going into a sauna, for instance, and all the research that's done there with heat shock proteins and stuff is insane for aging. It's so beneficial. So let's just like really look at what that means is like engaging with stressful situations in life is probably so beneficial as long as it's not acute. Yeah. Right? If you run away from everything that causes you stress, you're in a, that's you're not building resiliency. So you're not, I don't know, there's going to be stressful moments in your life, no matter where you are, what you're status level of your where you came from is and um you need to have challenge whatever mm-hmm. that looks like but also at the same time your challenge is not somebody else's challenge so yeah. when you're in situations where somebody hasn't faced that adversity yet mm-hmm. you have to give them the space and meet them where they are and kind of reassure them that they're going to get through it mm-hmm. if you're if you're somebody in that position anyways, maybe you're hiking with somebody or you're climbing with somebody and you know you're in a spot where it's like, this is going to be challenging, mm-hmm. but you've been through it before and you know what the outcome is. Whereas you've, if you're climbing with a partner that's new or hiking with somebody that's like, this is the first time they've ever backpacked or been on a day hike before and they're, they're nervous about any little sound they hear in the woods mm-hmm. and stuff like that, you just have to reassure them it's like, that's okay. Mm. We're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Wow. And, um, and it's interesting in that sense that even being out there um, without all of those, like, in a simple environment, right, mm-hmm. you are still dealing with the same problems, but on different terms, I would argue, with very easier to distinguish terms. Because the only thing that's vying for your attention Maybe I'm, I'm hopefully I'm not, I'm safe to assume the only thing that's vying for your attention is food, water, um, fatigue, and heat or cold, right? Like in temperature, food, water. Yeah, pretty much. Fatigue. You're not restricted to a schedule other than I put this many days of food in my pack, so I need to do this section this many days or whatever, or hike from here to there in this many days. And, and if I don't, oh, I guess I'll go a day without food or something. Yeah. I'll have to start rationing or whatever. So your only restrictions are what you're carrying food-wise with you mm-hmm. and how much you could forego uh, and how much energy you could expend without food. Otherwise, yeah, it's very like you don't have a job that you need to be on time to every day. You're kind of your own boss in mm-hmm. that sense. And you're, I guess, a through hike in general or just a longer section hike of a trail mm-hmm. becomes kind of like job-esque. Yeah. 
Whereas you wake up, you eat food, you pack up camp, you start walking, you eat some more food, <laughs> continue walking, mm-hmm. find a spot to camp, set up camp, <laughs> make food, yeah, go to bed, and then repeat. So. so here's where we get to the thing where we were talking before the podcast, the paradox of choice. Mm-hmm. So there's freedom in that lack of choice and freedom in all those restrictions. Mm-hmm. That's the weirdest thing at all. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all, but it does. Like, it's so weird, isn't that? Yeah. Because like, that's the most free thing that you could, like, think of in the sense, like, we're dealing with the same game, generally, mm-hmm. you know, like the same, you're dealing with a game of responsibilities and, like, a, a risk-reward scenario, right? You yeah. do really well, you get rewarded, you don't really do really well, there's a risk. And, like, it's really hard to generalize it that much, but... Um, I mean, backpacking is like, like long through hiking is a pretty simple way to engage with that game mm-hmm. and to deal with the similar process, but with minimal stimulus. Yeah. And that's something that it appealed to me because I'm like this thing where like, I really like to get caught up in thinking about myself and other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and in backpacking or even trail running or efficient movement on the trail right um i can learn so much because there isn't so much noise yeah and that's where i got with the headphones is i would be running and it would be so intense physiologically mm-hmm. like the breathing and stuff i'm like god i, I can't like this is too much input yeah get, totally like sensory overload um but then i got to the other thing which is like i'm going out into these wild places and I'm committing to drive here 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, one way. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I were to put this, put these headphones on, for me, right? Yeah. Not no criticism on anyone. This is just like but my level of experience and how it's evolved. I was like, well, I'm running and I don't stop most of the time because I'm like doing this five days a week or whatever, and I got to get as much mileage as I can for my training. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not really stopping except one point, you know, on the trail. Um, I only notice my movement and I don't hear the the place. So am I really here? Am I like transporting myself to, to, uh, places to put my feet mm-hmm. in, in an elevation profile? But other than that, I'm not really in this environment yeah. at all. Cause I'm not, I don't remember anything that's going on. I didn't hear anything that's going on. All I was was in my own brain and just operating my meat vehicle on a racetrack, <laughs> like you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when like I started to do things where, because for, for me it was about more than that, right? I like to be in these places, taking the headphones off and really enjoying that silence. And then even when it came to trying to enjoy that silence, I'd have the same things where it's like, okay, I want to check my map constantly. Yeah. How much further until my next landmark, or how much further until I'm done? And like that would become an addiction, totally to the, to yeah. the point where if the addiction threatens my progress, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I found myself doing that because nowadays you have apps for trails. You can use them, and they'll tell you they'll GPS locate you and tell you where you are and tell you where your next landmark water source is. Mm-hmm. And uh, that definitely can become habitual when you find yourself doing that. Um, and I would. I guess they're coping mechanisms. It's kind of like making yourself, I mean, your, your choice was to go out there and do this, mm-hmm. but your choice of how you complete it 
and how you cope with getting it accomplished are the mechanisms you use to accomplish it. So whether that's utilizing a GPS tracker that shows you location and waypoints that gives you like a little security or whether that's like listening to music to like pass the time just to get through it. I never thought about that because those are the coping skills that got me to the game, right? Yeah. I would have, because I would have never gotten into that because like it would have been way overwhelming and it would have probably been, well, okay, for some people it would have been really scary to never have a map in the in the first, or never have GPS access in the first place. Mm-hmm. But now I've, because of those things, I've been able to cope with a situation that would be um, hostile and uncomfortable to me, perceived hostility. Yeah. Um, and then now as I've become comfortable in that environment with those things, I've realized that I would enjoy the environment with less of those coping skills so that I can interact with it more. I need less security and less like safety. And I don't yeah. even mean physical safety. I even mean mental safety. Because yeah. it's a weird thing when you're like, I've had this on mushrooms, but <laughs> when you're like, I have six hours and there's nothing to point my attention at. <laughs> like that is a scary thing. Like yeah. it, it would give me anxiety. You know, mushrooms uh-huh. would be like, "What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do?" And then, <laughs> boom! I'm on mushrooms, and I'm like, "Whoa!" There's pretty colors everywhere, <laughs> and like, yeah, and go like it. That's actually a real thing that would make me anxious because I'd go backpacking with my son this summer. We were doing like three day, four day backpacking trips, mm-hmm. and the longest ever. And I have a three day one where like this is the first time that I'd ever go and hike. Spend one day hiking. And then spend the next day, nothing, and mm-hmm. then hike back on the third day. Yeah. And I had genuine anxiety and fear of like, how are we going to spend time together? How am I going to keep myself interested? And then like, I bring all these things with me that are unnecessary, like books and stuff. And like, I never use them. Yeah. And my son would say, I'm a little bored. And we would find different activities and ways to engage with people. And then I'm like, wait a minute. If I feel uncomfortable because I don't have something to point my attention at, maybe I feel uncomfortable just being me. When I have all the stimulus going away and it's just Matt and I or me and my son, mm-hmm. that that's scary to me. And then I'm like, what does that really mean about the way that I interact with reality overall? Am I like constantly looking for distractions to take the edge off? I don't know. I find myself in that spot sometimes too. A lot of times. Yeah. Right. (laughs) When I'm not achieving something in the day, I feel like I'm wasting my day and I'm not like performing at my best, Mm -hmm. but also like, uh, um, I don't know if you ever read the book, the four agreements. No. Oh, uh, can't think the out Don Miguel. Anyways, it's about kind of like, um, the last agreement is doing your best, but your best every day is different. So it's not like your best is comparative. It's um, relative. It's relative to the moment and to that day and to that specific. It can be it's even, yeah, just in the moment. So like not giving yourself the ability to say, it's okay you didn't do this today. Mm-hmm. You're still doing okay. You're still doing your best. So giving yourself, letting yourself be worthy of knowing it's okay that you didn't accomplish everything that was on your list today or Mm -hmm. whatever you had in mind for today or it didn't pan out the way you thought it would be. So I struggle with that on days, Mm -hmm. uh, especially this year and last year. I mean, this year has probably been that struggle for a lot of people. Just a lot of plans have gone 
to the wayside because I had plans to do another uh, shorter through hike this year mm-hmm. and I chose not to do it. And then I was planning to, to do another section hike of the Washington Pacific Northwest Trail. And I've been enthralled with other things. So I haven't done that yet. And now it's almost October. It's like, I might still do a section hike, but through the lowlands of Washington. And, uh, but it, I'm not going to do the one I planned on doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I have to be okay with that. And I am okay with it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. knowing I'm still doing my best and I'm still worthy of being who I am. Mm-hmm. So, and also I haven't really done many backpack trips this year either. I've gone on a few climbing trips and I've been working on uh, a rebuild of my van and, mm-hmm. and I've, uh, I think I've only done, we've mostly done car camping trips this summer mm-hmm. with my girlfriend and we've taken her kayaks out and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. So that's kind of a new spot for me. I'm so used to doing a lot of solo stuff where I don't have to rely on having another person there with me mm-hmm. um, when it comes to these hiking adventures like Dad, I can I'm on lunch break. Are you done? come and go <laughs> you said you said on my lunch break I can come and go as I please when it's me but uh, when I have somebody else that's there involved with it mm-hmm. <laughs> rat hair don't touch it's rat hair I've been rat hair <laughs> don't cut your hair anymore this is hair don't cut your hair I gotta take your phone away if you cut your hair again so yeah just uh, like car camping for me it's like it's fun I enjoy it but at the same time like I'm so used to like doing solo trips where I'm like pushing myself to my extremes yeah and my extremes aren't somebody else's extremes so it's like being okay with like getting up late and we're just gonna do this today and we're just gonna like lounge around camp it's like sometimes that gives me anxiety because like i'm not pushing my own self uh-huh. but trying to find that balance of like i'm here with this person what? and i'm spending time with them and i enjoy their presence 10 minutes mm-hmm. five minutes 10 five 10 five. you enjoy their presence and that's enough being okay with that and not being like i have to yeah. push myself to the extreme today that seen that's something that i'd wrestle with too because this this whole year threw it out for me mm-hmm. and I have this like overall fear of like if I don't push myself, you know, I'm going to become like Joe Schmo who's been climbing 5'8 and he's, you know, in his 60s. And the only thing that he's ever done was like do like one occasional climbing trip in a year and like, I'd always wanted to do jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Okay, wait, here's a better one. There was a guy who went to Winthrop when um, I got. Uh, so I was coming back from a backpacking trip, right? And it was a three-day backpacking trip. I'm in a really remote area north of Winthrop, near the border of Canada and Washington. Mm-hmm. Like 50, I don't know, 50, 30, 50 miles from Winthrop, from the town itself. We're coming down off this remote logging road. Um, a, two people come up to meet and do their little, like, their, their day hike, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, as we're leaving and as we're going down the road, there's someone cut a log. They fell the log in the middle of the road. And you're not allowed to do any logging in the area. It's like a wilderness area, so you're not even allowed to use, like, machinery, right? Yeah. Um, But So that was really weird, and I thought someone was, like, targeting us or something like that. And 
So I had to do this whole thing where I had to find, you know, help and get this tree winched out so we can um, go. But in the process, this guy like loaned me a bike so that I can go and get help. Mm -hmm. And um, and we got help. We winched it out, returned the bike, and the guy's like, "Oh yeah, that's that's weird that someone did that." And he asked us like, "What were we doing?" I'm like, "Oh, we we're just doing like a three day backpacking trip." And I had my son who's eight, and then me, and my girlfriend, and then her son who's five. And he's like, "You guys did that? How long was that?" I'm like, "Well." It was like, you know, four and a half miles one way. Mm -hmm. He's like, whoa, really? I'm like, yeah, man, it was really cool. He's like, I've been coming out here for years. I live in Cedro Woolley, and I've come out to like Winthrop, which is like three hours away. And I, you know, I come out here with my camper, and I just ride a camp in this camp spot off on the side of the road here, this dirt road. And I go and ride my bike up the um, forest roads and as far as it'll go, and then I'll walk the rest of the way. Um, but I never went backpacking before. I don't mm -hmm. know if I could do it. That seems like really hard, but I've really wanted to do that. And the guy's like 50 or like 60. And I'm just like, it was, um, I don't know where I was going. <laughs> it, it was very interesting though. Um, oh, I don't want to be like that. Like, I yeah. love that guy. That guy was really cool. He was a mm -hmm. genuine guy. I don't look down on him or denigrate his situation whatsoever. But as someone who watches people go climbing in, like, you know, the fjords in um, Greenland or whatever, and, you know, people go into, you go to Colorado and you're going, or not Colorado, you go to the um, Grand Canyon, right, and you are rafting on that river and you go to the hot springs, like, I don't want to only listen to those kinds of stories or only like experience that like once or twice in my life. Like I would really want to live these things fully. Yeah. And I get afraid that that guy obviously wants to do those things too, but he hasn't. Yeah. And I met a lot of people like that. And that scares me. That's like an angst that I have that's overarching my whole life. I met a lot of dishwashers who are still dishwashers in their thirties and like they don't really do much. And for me in that if i walked in their shoes i wouldn't like that so mm -hmm. i don't know why they're there i don't know if they chose that but because i don't want to choose that i feel like they didn't want to choose that mm -hmm. and i might be i'm probably wrong about that because i hope i am yeah because i get anxiety all the time this year was hard for me because like i wasn't able to do my trail running goals and my my climbing stuff and i thought like it's easy to to question if i'm just weak and like lazy or if that is life and you have to roll with it because the paradox is are both of those things are true yeah at any given point in the year like mm -hmm. sometimes i'm <laughs> i'm lazy and i don't get shit done man like yeah. sometimes i fail and then other times you got to really roll with the punches and it's really unclear and very personal to figure that out mm -hmm. and and it's interesting just watching you you know is someone that I'd say who is, finds himself more comfortable in these minimal experiences where you're out in the wilderness and being self-reliant than I am. But I love those things as well. But yeah. to see that you have times where you struggle with that is very valuable because I have deluded myself into saying, oh, there's a through hiker. They have an ability that I don't have, or they have, you know, there's this barrier there's characteristic in them that makes that inaccessible to me. I don't think that now, mm -hmm. but in my past, I have. You know, I'd watch the movie Wild where she does the PCT, and I know it's a movie. Yeah. But it would stop there where, like, I can't do that. 
And knowing that people do do that and still experience discomfort makes me want to get out and do it more. Yeah. I think a lot of people look at like through hiking as like there's the numbers they gather every year on the different trails, the Appalachian Trail, Continental Divide Trail, mm-hmm. Pacific Crest Trail. And then there's a bunch of other like long trails, but they're like shorter distances too. So there's actually one of the longer trails is the North Country Trail. I think it goes up through... I want to say it starts in like New York or something and goes over to like North Dakota or something like that. And like, Whoa. it's a lot of, I think it's a lot of road walk. I haven't done a whole lot of research on it, but it's mm-hmm. 4,200 miles. If you wow. look, it's on one of the 11 national scenic trails, but oh. then there's trails like, uh, the Arizona trail, it's 800 miles. Mm-hmm. So for me, like I got enthralled with through hiking in 2016 when I did a section hike, I'd, they would call it a lash, a long ass section hike. So, uh, so I did the entire state of Washington. And before that, my longest trip, I'd done two week long trips. Well, one was like a week long trip in the Olympics. I did the um, part of the route, like the Elwha River and up Low Divide. Oh, it's that's part of the really original cool. press expedition route that kind of explored the peninsula. Whoa. It's kind of the route they followed. It's I like a north by south route, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They started at the um, Strait of Juan de Fuca and went down wow. all the way. Back in I've like, always wanted to run that route because yeah. I think it'd be far efficiently hiking. It's it. a pretty cool trail. I mean, you have to access now be uh, with some road walking because the road's washed out. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, adds probably like 10 miles or something. Oh, really? Yeah. That's that bad. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of people look at through hiking and the numbers. Like, there's not many people that try a through hike. Mm hmm. Uh, compared to what the world population is and stuff, mm-hmm. the the amount of people that have com- and then the amount of people that complete a through hike is even lower. But uh, I think if you look at the numbers, it's like seven thousand, eight thousand people that have hiked the the PCT in a through hike. That man, I always thought there'd be more. Just thinking, wow. I mean, these are That's all numbers wild. that they gather from kind of yeah. like uh, it's just user driven stuff. It's That's nothing so interesting. There's no. It's not super scientific. It's people submit if yeah. they've through hiked or not, and there's so many different variables that people look at for like what what uh, constitutes a through hike. Mm-hmm. Do you have to go from one direction to the other? Can you flip flop? Can you start one way and then go back up and come the other way? Can you skip around? Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes down to it, it's all personal experience. Yeah. So, I mean, I started the direction most people start on the Pacific Crest Trail and started down at the Mexican border in mm-hmm. uh, mid-April and then walked north to the Canadian border wow. and didn't do any flip-flops or anything. And um, But that that's what I needed to do for me. Mm-hmm. Other people, there's fires my year too in some sections north and they got there and they bypassed the those sections um, but they still did what they want. They needed to do for them. So that makes sense. But I think a lot of people look at through hiking like this. Very, they've glorified it in a sense, mm-hmm. and they don't like you're saying it's. It's like I I could never do that. But and I think that was something I thought too. Talking with friends before I ever did a backpack, it's like it, it's no, nothing I could ever do. But mm-hmm. you're just these are just human beings that are doing it. They're not superhuman. They're going through the same struggles you or somebody else would be going through mm-hmm. and all they're doing is linking a trip with another trip with another trip yeah. with another trip so i think people look at the vast vastness of it mm-hmm. and they don't break it down into the smaller kind of 
setting smaller goals. Makes sense. When you look at like a larger goal like that and you can't conceptualize 2,600 plus miles in your mind in like one moment mm -hmm. versus oh, I could do 70. Yeah, I could. Or I could do like 20 or I could do 10. Mm -hmm. It's like you think about those smaller increments. That's what gets you to where you're trying to get. And that's like that whole process of, you know, just being goal-oriented goal thinking and how you get almost anything done. Because I find that with like running, finding out how to run 50 milers or 100 yeah. milers and like even how to do rock, like how to do, how to learn essentially is, is like being able to chunk it down to the very first critical steps mm -hmm. and then performing those and then having the next ones and the next ones. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that through hiking has the ability to to teach somebody the merits um, of goal oriented thinking? I think it does. I think if you want, if it's something you want to be aware of, you have to be aware of it. I don't think. I feel like there's still people that go out on trails or like they go on adventures and they think that's gonna make them a different person. Mm -hmm. But if, unless you go out there with the mindset of like, I want to be a different person and I need to be a different person, mm -hmm. or if you don't want to educate yourself, you're not going to be educated. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to gain knowledge just because it's, it's available to you. That you have sense. to like, you have to embrace it and embrace the moments you don't enjoy about it to, and then put it to practice too. Mm. So like somebody could give you a book that tells you all the steps you need to learn about a through hike or something. Mm -hmm. And if you go into the mindset of like, I'm never going to do this, you could read the book and you're probably not going to gain much out of the experience. And it's not going to change your mindset unless you do it yourself. Oh, so. that makes sense. I see. But, and even when you're outside of this experience of, um, of through hiking, you are still Matt, you are who you are yeah. and you are what you practice, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so if you were to try to come out with changes and you were doing your best during the process to internalize them along the way and, and use this as a structure in which to instantiate change in your life, if you were to come out the other end, you're still going to, it's a lifestyle change. You're still going to have to fundamentally practice these things. Totally. And, yeah, totally. Like, makes sense. Going on an adventure, something like a through hike, or even just going on something that's pushing you beyond what your your normal capabilities you think are, mm -hmm. it's going to add some change or some different perspective to the way you think, which might help initiate the change you need to make in your life. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to be it's not going to be the thing that causes a complete habitual systemic change it can so, be the catalyst for the work but it's not the work yeah, itself no right and i think um from my experience with through hiking especially in our culture within the last since i don't know since the dawn of the internet and the, the accessibility of information the accessibility of instantaneous information mm -hmm. with walking when you're under your own steam and you there is no instant gratification for getting from point A to point B, mm. walking under your own steam. Mm -hmm. As far as like, you're not gonna instantly get 20 miles if you don't put effort in to get to walk there. That's yeah. If that's your only option. Makes like, sense. Or if you're, if you wanna be the gratification of completing a through hike, what does that look like to you? Is it just getting, standing at one terminus and standing at the other terminus? Mm -hmm. Or is it 
going through the strife and the struggles of every day that's going to look different. Some you're going to have joyous moments. You're going to have not so joyous moments. You're going to be dirty. You're going to be stinky. You're going to some days not want to be on the trail or doing the thing. It's like, do you want to experience those things? And do you want to experience the communities around it? Or do you just want to stand here and stand there, take your picture and that's that's what your moment is. You see that thinking proliferated as a pitfall in many things, even specifically like professions, right? Where you're like, I want to be an author. And it's like the romanticize and fanaticize the idea of being an author. And it's like, oh, you mean it's sitting alone in a room and just writing all day? <laughs> like, And you only keep like 20% of what you write? Like, oh, I see. The, the, the idea and the picture of what an author is and the reality of it are different. And or the lifestyle of it is different mm-hmm. and more or less you need to contend with and assess what kind of lifestyle do you want? Even if it is for, even if it's momentary, right? Yeah. Like what kind of day-to-day experience do you want? I get that from rock climbing too. What I've learned to evaluate was like, okay, it's not like a cool, like, Oh, um, a cool mountain per se of like, that the ego would get into things where it's like, well, that'd be cool to say that I stayed from the top of that mountain, or it'd be cool for me to just be at the top of that mountain because it looks all like imposing here. Mm-hmm. It's like the big thing is, is what kind of experience is like a climber or as a, an adventurer, I guess, what kind of experience, how do I, what way do I want to get from my, my present moment to my goal? Mm-hmm. And how do I want that process to look like in terms of climbing? Do I want it completely like, obscure route finding to where it's super open-ended and hard to find my way um do i want like you know not very hard climbing do i want easier climbing do i want climbing that's like run out and you know not very well protected or Mm -hmm. what's that experience like and like how do i deliver the experience that is as fitting as possible for where i am right now yeah totally yeah and so there's this you did the uh, outdoor skills courses right uh, yeah, challenge course facilitation. And like, how did your, um, your knowledge from backpacking carry over into that? And how did that teach you the doing the challenge courses for your overall lifestyle? Okay. I'm asking this last question. I'm good. Well, that'll be like 10 minutes probably. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And then you're done. Mm-hmm. And then we can, cause I'm on my lunch break. I know, I know. You make editing hard for me sometimes. <laughs> <clears throat> so for, I, like my first backpack was in 2014. Mm-hmm. I think it was July 4th. And I went with my um, partner at the time. We went, just did a little overnighter up to uh, Packwood Lake and Lost Lake. Mm-hmm. And um, I had just gotten into challenge course facilitation in the same year in the spring. Oh, wow. So... I don't know if there's, I mean, for me, it's about trying to meet the participants that come to my course where they are. And I'm not the best at that all the time because Mm -hmm. sometimes I found myself, um, there's participants that come there like school age groups that I work with and they're like one day off groups. So I might not see them that one time. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I work these courses and they come back once a year. So I I might see some of those participants next year and see their progression over a year. Mm -hmm. And 
but um, as far as where backpacking and hiking kind of overlap um, with the challenge course facilitation, I think it's just about knowing your extremes and your your where you sit as far as like this is what I know I'm capable of and try not to hold those standards against the people that you're facilitating because my job as a facilitator is to give people an opportunity to find what's uncomfortable for them Mm -hmm. and not tell them what's uncomfortable for them I like that (laughs) (laughs) I I can give you opportunity and Mm -hmm. I can give you uh, a chance to participate in something that might make you feel uncomfortable in a safe setting Mm -hmm. and my job as that facilitator is to create safety and to stop things if they get to a level that's like, okay, this is now it's putting people at risk for Mm -hmm. getting injured. But for the most part, I I try to maintain a standard where it's like, um, okay, I know how I would do this, Mm -hmm. but I know there's multiple ways to do this objective. Mm -hmm. And, um, the hardest part for me sometimes is, is just people, they keep asking me, Oh, what's they want the answer, and mm-hmm. sometimes there isn't an answer. There's just it's the objective of, of the opportunity of the activity. Sometimes is to figure out how we interact as a group because most of these like lower elements or group activities where you're relying on other people to help you accomplish it, mm-hmm. and kind of looking at what accomplishment looks like. Oh, whoa. so sometimes it's not about succeeding and getting to the end result. Sometimes it's about oh. We were squabbling. It's about realizing how to work better as a group unit mm-hmm. and how to function and what leadership really means. So, Whoa. and I guess in backpacking, I guess when you're functioning and you're going out, like say you're going out with your son and stuff, mm-hmm. like same sort of thing. You're trying to know. Okay, I can. This is my. I could do 20 miles today, but mm-hmm. I know my son can't do 20 miles today. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna go here and we're gonna push him a little bit, to maybe like six miles. Yeah. And I'm going to be okay with that. And I'm going to facilitate that experience for him and, and take your ego out of it and not try to push yourself. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing is like trying to take your ego out of the experience and know that it's not about you. It's about the group. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes these groups, even though they're there, sometimes they're not all there by their choice. They're, Mm -hmm. they're group organized. They're um, facilitated by a school or something. So Mm -hmm. it's part of their curriculum. And so getting them to buy in to why they're there is kind of the most challenging part for me. But I think that's kind of where the crossover is, just like setting your ego aside mm-hmm. when you're person in charge. I'll put that in quotation marks. Because yeah. <laughs> a lot of these younger groups look as they're as an adult and they have so much, not all of them, but a lot of them see their teachers and stuff as like they're they're the ones that set the standards and tell mm-hmm. them what they can't and can't do yeah they're and so i'm setting standards of safety when i'm mm-hmm. facilitating but at the same time i'm also want to be like i'm not in charge yeah. i'm not telling you how to do this i'm giving you the opportunity to say here's uh here's an objective here's some tools to accomplish this objective and here's uh oh, he's a little bit and and there is no, for me, there is no correct answer to it. It's just to see, it's for them to function. 
And, and that is like the the sandbox, the the best way to describe the sandbox, even of parenting, like the the style of like teaching that I found for my son, because like. I'm so rife with bias and ideology sometimes or how I want, like my ego will get entrenched into things. And I even find that like, if I'm trying to explicitly instruct him, this is a particular way to do things when there really isn't like one specific truth to it. Right. We're not talking about like two plus two equals four. Right. Um, But it's how you go about it. I find that like, I'm just rife with conflict and we're not having progress. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can check out more about Matt on Instagram underscore at as at underscore adventure calls underscore. I'll be sure to leave the links to that in the show notes. Woo. I really love talking to Matt. It was cool to listen to his perspective from a person who took on such a daunting task as walking, you know, over 2000 miles for the Pacific crest trail and, like committing to such a simple life, you know, but something that's completely out of our element for all of us um, for such a long time. And it was interesting to listen to his experience as a um, challenge course facilitator and trying to facilitate an educational environment. And I think it's gotten, it'll be really helpful for me as a father and also an educator. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you would like to share it, head over to becominghumanpodcast.com and rate, review, share it with a friend. You can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, um, and more. I hope you guys have a wonderful week, and I hope you're enjoying the start to your fall. Bye.